This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Admiral James Stravitas, in about 12 minutes, need his take on the assassination of uh, former Prime Minister Abe of Japan. Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour to put all this breaking news in perspective. A lot's going to be going on today. The President of the United States is going to be announcing some type of executive action as it relates to Roe v. Wade. And we also know he's going to do that today at the White House. And we also know a little bit uh, later on this afternoon, uh, we also know the... Uh, President Trump will deliver remarks uh, at an event for Nevada candidates uh, in Las Vegas. He really believes that he's they got a shot at taking the Senate there. If they're going to take the Senate, they're going to need that Senate seat uh, right now in Democratic hands. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm not going to second guess the district attorney um, for his actions. My heart goes out. For that hardworking, honest New Yorker where a person came in and went behind the counter and attacked him. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Mayor, for at least saying the right thing. Now go condemn your district attorney for doing the wrong thing and putting him in Rikers. Victims no more. Bodega Rona stands up to an attacker in New York City and kills a career criminal. He goes to jail? That was the story, but now it's changing. The public outrage is the reason. We will bring you the watershed moment. Number two. So what Texas is doing, the unprecedented, and that is Texas law enforcement and National Guard, uh, anybody they apprehend coming across the border illegally, they will be returning to the border. Yeah, governor desperate to do something in Texas. He grants state authorities the power to return illegals to the border at Biden, as Biden quietly builds a Trump wall in California that we paid for. This after 5,000 apprehended in Texas just last weekend alone. I'll bring you the latest. Number one. Why do you think it is that 88 percent of people in this country think the country is on the wrong track? The president understands what the American people are going through. He understands that gas prices are high um, because of Putin's tax hike. Ugh, enough with that. Biden's economy sucking wind and the administration seems to bear just seems to just be sucking overall. And the Dems are furious. Yes, Dems. We're going to look at the economy and the president's actions and new jobs numbers uh, threaten to cloud his only sunny spot. 
So the new jobs numbers are just in. I just got them. 372,000 uh, are the jobs added. They expected two, 268, so this is more than that, but less than last month. Listen, jobs are good news for this country. That I'm cheering for the economy. I don't care who the president is. 62.2% participation rate. Uh, overall, that's a little low. I mean, that also continues people that are retired. So I keep that in mind. But let's add this to the factor. The unemployment is at 3.6, which is great, which allow wages to rise because people are gunning for have more positions open than they have workers. In fact, last month they had 11 million open positions, 7 million without a job. It seems to me a lot of people could be employed choose they, if they choose to be employed. It also knows that better quality jobs are probably available. But what we will not have sooner or later if we keep on squeezing the economy with the inflation, we will not have uh, these job openings. So for the president, he will trumpet these numbers today. But for the most part, by far, the number one issue continues to be inflation. And I am not convinced that they have any coherent plan. Neither are the David Axelrods of the world. Neither, uh, neither are a lot of Democratic leaders. They see the president with empty schedules, three-day weekends, and they wonder where's the, where's the urgency to act. Here's his ter- terribly overwhelmed press secretary. Cut one. When you look at inflation, when we look at where we are economically, and we are in a strong, uh, we are stronger economically than we have been uh, in history. When you look at the unemployment numbers at 3.6 percent, when you look at the jobs numbers, uh, more than 8.7 million of of new jobs created. That is important. It is important. But just so you know, many of those jobs were emptied out because the pandemic so these numbers are wildly inflated, like the growth numbers, just like when people say, well, we were in a recession when President Trump was in office. Yeah, because we were forced ourselves in a recession because of to the China virus. That's a big difference. So are you convinced that the president's got the message when it comes to oil and gas? I am not. And then we have the revelation that we were using our strategic oil patrol, according to Reuters. Uh, much of it is going to China and India. And evidently, in the oil world, we got the best, refined the best, we have the best natural resources, it's the, most, uh, it's the most preferred, and we do something that makes us insecure, it doesn't even bring down the prices here, and helps our enemy, it makes no sense. Here's Daniel Turner last night. He's an oil and gas expert. Cut five. So the, son, the, the president's reprobate crackhead son is invested in a company that is buying our strategic reserves while we're paying more than $5 a gallon at the pump. If We had a, a, an impeachment hearing about a phone call with Donald Trump and President Zelensky. If this doesn't cause Jerry Nadler and it doesn't cause Adam Schiff to ask some questions and for Congress to do its job and wonder how this Biden crime family is profiting while the American people are suffering. I don't understand if there is a more uh, offense that is more worthy of investigating for impeachment. It's unpatriotic and it's shameful and it's potentially criminal. Uh, So what I did not add is that wrinkle that the company in China that is buying our oil for that country is, is has a business relationship with Hunter Biden. Is that insane? And we know from the voicemail and we know from logic, obviously the president's involved. We heard Tony Bobulinski and we know he's the big guy. So if this would, Trump had even a fraction of these connections, Adam Schiff would be on, on, on the air 24 hours a day. Needless to say. We're also, I want to share with you what happened when we got up to this morning. Uh, the assassination attempt worked. Uh, there, 
in a home with a, using a homemade rifle. It looks like a double barrel using two look like, I don't know, plumber's tubes that you might use for your sink. A homemade gun was made for a 41-year-old uh, assailant, a Navy veteran, Japanese Navy veteran, to walk up behind pr- former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and shot him in the neck and shot him in the back and killed him. He was basically out of it by the time they got him to the ambulance, and he passed away. He is dead in the most arguably the most nonviolent society on the planet where gun restrictions are off the charts. Did not stop the assassination of this leader who was known as an innovator, wanted to get China, uh, excuse me, Japan back off the this peace initiative, back on building up their own military again, wanted to get their economy rolling again, first time since the late 80s, was doing all these things to jolt their economy, had to step aside in 2020 because of physical problems, campaigning with an election looming, and then he gets gunned down. Uh, just awful. President Trump, everybody has written out uh, uh, glowing statements about the leader, but I think a lot of people are freaked out, thinking to themselves, if this can happen in Japan, it really could happen anywhere. I'm going to talk to Admiral James Stavridis about that. All right, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot of breaking economic news, international news, and we also will find out what is on the Admiral's mind, a former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, in wake of the fact that the Russians basically admitted they're in a pause in Ukraine. What should Ukraine do? We'll ask in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of his aspirations was actually to revise their constitution that was renouncing war. And all of that is a result of, of World War II. And he felt the constitution needed upgrading to face the realities and threats that the Japanese people were undertaking. That is uh, General Keene, who talked about uh, Prime Minister Abe, the former Prime Minister of Japan, who was assassinated by a 41-year-old uh, Navy veteran. Uh, didn't like his policies. That, according to uh, reports, I believe, uh, out of uh, the Daily Mail, that was what he was said to say. They found the homemade rifle, and it looked like two tubes you might have under your sink, made it his house, and took out this leader. It's one of the safest countries in the world. It's known as Admiral James Stavridis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Admiral, your thoughts on Abe's death? Gosh, just a tragedy, Brian. And of course, I spent over half my career in the Pacific. I met with uh, the prime minister, remarkable man, uh, led Japan through 
some challenging periods. I believe the longest serving prime minister in Japanese history and really a visionary. As General Jack was just telling us, um, he knew that Japan had to step up and face China. And he did initially in his career, he tried a bit more working with China. And then it became clear to him that this was a danger zone for his nation. And so he aggressively improved the Japanese uh, defense forces. And uh, in addition to what Jack said, he also pushed to change a, a cap that the Japanese have in their policy and their constitution of spending only 1% of their gross domestic product on defense. And don't forget, Brian, Japan is an enormous economy. It's the third largest in the world after the U.S. and China, of course. So um, his legacy will be clear-eyed realist who helped China, uh, who helped Japan face the challenges of China. So uh, he passed away. The G20 is meeting right now. Uh, if you were at the G20 and had a chance to, uh, to talk to Lavrov, would you and what would you say? Uh, as unpleasant as it would be to speak to the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, again, I've met with him on many, many occasions. He was, of course, in that position when I was Supreme Allied Commander uh, less than a decade ago. Uh, he speaks perfect English, by the way, although you'll not often see him deploy that publicly. Um, I think we do keep communication channels open. I think I would push him hard, obviously, on the war criminal behavior we're seeing. And I would say to him, look, you are leading your nation down a strategic bolt hole here, and you're not going to get out uh, under the sanctions. You're not going to find your way back into uh, the global commons in, until you reverse course here. And, you know, he he's not a powerful figure in Russia, but he does have influence. He's been in the job a long time. Um, he can help carry that message back to Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin said we have not really begun yet uh, to fight. We haven't really barely got in started in action he called on, he warns Kiev, you better accept the deal. I didn't know there was a deal out there uh, or things will get worse for you. And he's in an operate what we could term an operational pause now. So what, what do you make of his bluster? Yeah, I think it's bluffing. I think it's bluster. He's he is burning through assets. He has thousands and thousands killed in action. His equipment is getting shot up constantly. He knows more and more heavy and advanced weapons are going in the hands of the Ukrainians. The Ukrainian flag is flying proudly over Snake Island, uh, where there's a, a long history of bitterness and a very strategic location. And, yeah, he has ground out a few more kilometers of territory. But I don't think he's got a lot in the bank, Brian. And the next step for him, he will have to uh, declare a mobilization and start conscripting, drafting young Russians that he knows uh, even his levels of control uh, may start to waver in the face of that. So I, I, I wouldn't want his hand to cards. And I think that he's trying to push the Ukrainians to take some kind of a negotiated settlement. So I think last week he took Luhansk province. So that's one of the two uh, provinces that make up the Donbass region. 
And he seems to be making uh, progress in taking the cities that he wants, even though it's at great cost, but it doesn't, it doesn't pay the price with political opinion. He arrests people that have a negative opinion about, uh, about what's happening there. So even though he's paying a price, he seems to be making gains. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree he's making small incremental gains, but Brian, you got to measure it against his strategic intent. What he wanted to do was to conquer the entire country. He's in possession right now of something like 19, 20%. And frankly, the Ukrainians, as they get more weapons, heavier weapons, more accurate weapons, long range uh, cruise missiles that can knock out the Black Sea fleet, uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on Putin's ability to really uh, gather a lot more territory. So I think a negotiation is coming here. The question is, what are the Ukrainians willing to give up? And by the way, we got to get that weed out. And I think that we should get NATO in action to say this is a humanitarian mission. We're going yes. to guide it out or people will starve to death that aren't involved in this conflict. We have to do that. It's not even being talked about that I can tell. Michael White, uh, go ahead. Do you want to comment on that? Just I was going to say, Brian, because this is a nautical topic and you do have an admiral on. Um, I would say we have I have been pushing this. Many uh, maritime experts have been pushing this. And as you know, Brian, we've done this before. We escorted Kuwaiti tankers full of oil through the uh, Strait of Hormuz when Iran wanted to close it in the 1980s. Young Lieutenant Stavridis was involved in those operations. Um, Admiral Stavridis would tell you today, take a page from that playbook, get the grain out, escort it. NATO is a good place to start thinking about. And you begin by minesweeping. We have that capability. Um, This is within the grasp of the international community. We should do it. All right. Uh, Here is what Michael Weiss says. He's with Newsline magazine uh, about what's happening on the ground. Cut 28. The Ukrainian counteroffensive, uh, limited though it has been in Kherson. This was the first population center the Russians took in late February and early March. Uh, we've seen reports now that the Ukrainians feel the wind at their back. Uh, Ukrainian military officials saying they're within sniper range of Russian troops in Kherson. That, that is an unprecedented development in the last several months. Already we have seen, Jonathan, the uh, devastating effect that the Ukrainians have made of Western-supplied uh, long-range artillery systems, including the HIMARS. I've seen video footage of these things striking deep within Russian-occupied territory in Donetsk. Uh, Russian soldiers on social media platforms such as Telegram have been complaining that now they're facing a NATO-standardized military, something they hadn't seen before, going back eight years of war against the Ukrainians. So these are some of those high bars seem to be making significant gains. Are there enough? There are not enough, and we need to get more in their hands. I think there's roughly a dozen there now. Um, We need to triple that at a minimum, give them the uh, follow-on rockets once they launch the initial round of rockets. And, Brian, everything he said I agree with. Um, And let's also add in, you know what's going to happen next in those occupied territories. It's going to be a very spirited, very effective Ukrainian resistance movement. And Russia is going to find uh, dead soldiers around corners. They're going to have to retaliate. Um, They're going to see targeted assassinations against puppet Ukrainian regimes. Um, I think that the Russians are going to have a very virulent uh, insurgency they're going to have to deal with, in addition to that NATO-capable Ukrainian conventional forces coming at them. So don't believe the bluster. Putin's in trouble. 
That's my bottom line. And I think if you parse his statements closely, he's talking more about um, negotiation mm-hmm. than he is about some kind of sweeping military victory. Pick up the Admiral's book. It's called Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decisions. You also see some other great books the Admiral has out. Always great to talk to you, sir. Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. one 408 The latest on the breaking news and the jobs numbers in just a moment. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. show like no other it's brian kilmeade i'm not going to second guess the district attorney um for his actions with that said uh my heart goes out for that hard-working honest new yorker that was doing his job in his place of business where a person came in and went behind the counter and attacked him yeah, because we saw the video, and I give the mayor credit for saying that, but why not attack the DA? Because I guess they're both Democrats, perhaps? I don't know. It, it makes no sense to me, because if you're upset by crime in this in your city, which is up 33% overall, the only thing down of the seven major crimes are murder, uh, and that's not down significantly, but they're down. Everything else, grand theft auto, everything, assaults, murder, uh, outside murder, rapes, all this stuff is up. And then you see an opportunity for somebody to fight back, and you know that part of the reason is it's recidivist criminals. They keep going in, and they're coming out. The same people commit the crimes. That's according to your police commissioner. Use that as an opportunity to say something. Carly Shimkus is here. She wants to say something. Co-host of Fox & Friends, fresh off doing your great special on uh, 4th of July. Fantastic with Lawrence Jones. Thank you. Um, Carly, first off, your reaction to the mayor holding his fire on the DA, but siding with the bodega owner. Well, I'm so glad that he did, and I feel so bad for... Everybody feels bad for this bodega owner if you have eyes and have seen the security camera footage. Thank God, though, Brian, that it was caught on camera, because could you imagine it wasn't? 
with the camera footage alone, he was put. Alvin Bragg uh, originally set his bail at five hundred thousand dollars. It then it went down to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. He couldn't make it. His family doesn't have that kind of money. After the New York Post, and thank God they did, started covering the story. There was so much outrage over this that they finally lowered the bail to fifty thousand. He's out of Rikers. He should have never been there to begin with. He stood there after the. So what happened is his son owns the bodega. They have a bodega association. He's at, I think it's 139th Street and Broadway in Harlem. And what happens is this guy, this guy's girlfriend walks in and has a has a card for EBT card, is it called? That is yeah. a food stamp card. Mm-hmm. And she has nothing on it. Yep. So he goes, you can't buy the snack if you have nothing on it. So he starts screaming at her. She tries to steal it, she, apparently. Yeah, she tries like, to steal it, knifed him, yeah. uh, stabbed him a few times, said, I'm going to get my boyfriend. A guy comes back. He's got a huge criminal record. He's got a $350 T-shirt. I didn't know what a $350 T-shirt looks like or <laughs> is even made. Mm-hmm. And he's got gold earrings, gold necklace. Uh, comes in, starts threatening the guy. Roughs you can't up. hear the audio. Roughs him up. But then when he stood up, he got a knife, and he knifed the guy in the neck and knifed him again, and he died. And here's the thing, that the bodega worker um, did nothing when he was getting pushed around, and then he tried to walk away. And you can see him actually trying to get away, and then the guy who ultimately ends up dying uh, brought him back, pulled him back in, and that's when he grabbed the knife because he was thinking in his head – I think I'm going to die right now. Oh, my gosh. And you can completely understand where he's coming from. And then, you know, Alvin Bragg, you don't really hear about him that much. And I think that's really because when he was first elected, there was that leaked uh, memo of, you know, his plan on how he was going to handle the district attorney's uh, the district attorney's uh, position that he was elected to. And he essentially said he was going to decriminalize everything except for hardcore murder. That was how he jumped onto the scene. Yeah. Got so much backlash that he sort of went into a hole. You don't hear from him that much. Apparently behind the scenes, though, he's still making these horrific decisions. And people have left, uh, just left. In a left-wing city, they're too, he's too left for them. Uh, the guy's name is Jose Alba. And the guy that uh, is now dead, uh, the killer, is name, I had it right here. Hmm. I actually don't have it either. But yeah, let me. Uh, let you know me... what? Can I say something though, Brian? You yeah. uh, started this by Austin talk... Simon. Excuse me, okay. Austin Simon, thirty-seven years old, ex-con. He's the one who attacked him and is dead right now. Yeah, and you were talking about how there are all these repeat offenders on the street, and that is so true in Chicago. Um, and you know, police know who these guys are. Fourteen hundred people in Chicago: the gang members, the repeat. Uh, people who steal stuff and get out, they commit 86% of the crime in Chicago. And they're just constantly back out on the street. It's a revolving door system. Imagine how much safer that city would be if they eventually locked this small pool of people up. And it really is small. The number of people who are capable of committing a violent crime is very small. The problem is that they feel emboldened right now. The other issue with um, areas that are uh, high crime areas is that there's like this anti-snitch culture. So nobody talks to cops. So I was reading a Chicago Sun-Times article. I remember it was it was actually last summer. And it said over the course of six years, there have been two people committed of mur- con- convicted of murder over six years of mass murder, only two convictions. That is nuts. Yeah. I, I can't believe that. But see, the thing is, if you're into law enforcement reform, and we hear about criminal justice reform, we hear about it all the time, do it once they're incarceration. Don't put them back on the street and say, I'm giving them another chance. The infrastructure is not there. The opportunity is not there. If you're sincerely looking to rehab your life, perhaps, but do it behind bars. 
Because don't sick them back out on us because it makes everybody look bad. Nobody wants to come to your city. You're not going to get reelected, and you're not helping the person. Yeah. Sometimes people are just evil. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. you have a hard time believing that because you're always, <laughs> you're always looking at the bright side of everything. No, I know that there are bad guys out there for sure. Um, and then you have George Gascon. The big news this week was that the recall effort is um, moving forward and the fact that they got over 700,000 signatures, so about 200,000 more than what was needed. They need that buffer zone just in case any of the signatures turned out to be fraudulent. And we're just going to have to wait and see if he goes the way of Chase Boudin. Um, Mayor London Breed in San Francisco just announced Chase Boudin's replacement. It was a woman that worked in his office. And I was thinking, oh, boy. Well, guess what? She left Chase Boudin's office and started working for the recall campaign against him. Okay, good. So maybe that city has a chance. Absolutely. So uh, we'll talk about that. First off, the job numbers came in uh, much more than they thought, about 100,000 more than they thought. What did it come out to? 372, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, the job numbers are. So the unemployment stage at 3.6. What do you think that, uh, does that change anything in in the country? Do you think we should feel less doom and gloom? Well, I think it is a good report for now, but um, so uh, it's still a lot of inflation is still there. Gas prices are still extremely high. Uh, but I guess it does show that the big issue with the Federal Reserve raising the interest rate is that it's obviously going to you know, slow the economy and people aren't going to be uh, there aren't going to be a, as much job growth as we have right now. Um, but I, the the economy is just because this this one particular report was better than expected doesn't change the the way that people are feeling right and now. And what you're not re- what you're referring to also is not so much what Republicans feel feel or skeptics of Joe Biden feels it's what fellow Democrats feel. They evidently feel as though that they are just uh, lost. David Axelrod talked about it in Politico today. They say many progressives, including some within the administration, say Biden's all out messaging war against spiking prices is making matters worse. They fear his administration's unswerving support for the Federal Reserve's campaign to choke off inflation will slam the brakes on the economy, undercut the few things the White House has moving in its favor, like housing, uh, like with interest rates are high for recent times, but not high overall, and are going to hurt the housing market and eventually going to stop hiring. Now, inside the administration, the debates are getting more intense, they say, as the midterms approach. Biden's approval rating at 30, between 36 and 39 percent. Quote, a lot of the frustration with the roll, uh, uh, by the rollout and by the idea that they were going to try to do a Paul Volcker our way out of the problem is the problem, according to a senior official. Paul Volcker put inflation, put interest rates into double figures in order to outstrip inflation. Yeah. No one's buying, no no, no. first-time buyers buying a house. Right. People with cash are going to buy houses. So that's going to be, that's going to ripple down. Credit cards purchases. Yeah, so uh, things aren't, it, it's, the, uh, the Biden administration is by its own design. Also, the Fed did not help by just continuing to pump money in the situation. But right now they're caught between a rock and the hard place. And I really think that with this administration, it's a messaging and messenger problem. Um, do you remember a few months ago when the administration went through this like great reset and they said, OK, this is what we're going to do to raise our approval rating. We're going to have President Biden go out on the road more and talk to the people. Because um, nobody can sell the message quite like President Biden. So he was in Ohio this week making a speech, which I was actually really surprised by what he's – and I get the union thing and all that. But he talked about pensions. I mean, I mean that really small sliver of society that cares compared to the, the major problems at hand, um, inflation and gas prices. And Brian, he said – and this is like a nitpicky thing, but it was so annoying. He, said, he used the phrase, it's not a joke, like, fi- like 50 times. 
Or, you know, we got to grow the economy from the top up and the middle out. It's not a joke, folks. I'm doing more for the economy than any other uh, president in the history of the country. Not a joke, folks. It's like he's stuck on repeat. I know. I mean, he says it all the time. Uh, No hyperbole. The other one he always says, but no joke. The other thing is he doesn't understand to give a speech because those people were enthusiastic that they were there. And they, every time he gets cheers, he tries to, like, shut the cheers down. Well, by saying it's not a joke. Not a joke. Hey, like, close, just let, no, just no let it joke. happen. Just let it like, linger. So Jim Jordan of Ohio said this about what he's seeing so far. Cut seven. There's frankly no one who wants to talk to the, the sitting president, to Joe That's Biden. Cool. And he, he looked like a kid on the playground who had no friends. And it, it's, it's, it was sad. I felt sorry for the individual. But the country sees that. And the country deserves the right kind of leadership. Frankly, the leadership we had under the previous president. But it's not just that. It's the decisions he makes. I mean, the idea we now learned today that almost a million barrels from our strategic reserve was sold to China. The, the first question is, why are we doing that at a time when we got $5 gas? But we also learned that the, the company that bought this, that this, this oil was sold to, Hunter Biden had a financial interest in at one time. So that's, that's problematic, too. So it's not just the concerns we have about, you know, can he put two sentences together? Can he actually lead? But also the policy decisions that are being made. Yeah, I know. I mean, this that is- to me, that China story is is just so maddening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really isn't getting as much attention as it probably should. Um, I, th- I I think uh, I read somewhere that. Um, when you're when you're dealing with oil on the global market, um, the highest bidder does actually have to it, it, the highest bidder has to purchase that oil. I don't know if that's the same rules with the strategic right. petroleum reserve, but if that is the case, that may explain why some of those barrels went overseas. I'd like to see the explanation rather than I don't know. I haven't heard that. Yeah, that's what Karen Jean Pierre yeah. says. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Okay, d- don't let us Whoops. bother you with the facts. No, nothing in that book, right? It's about a t- that? it's a that tough job. Binder? Here's the thing about Karen Jean Pierre. I want to defend her. Um, um, I don't think she's cut out for the job. I say that fully knowing that I wouldn't be either. It's, it's just too intimidating for me. But she does have a very sweet presence. Right. Uh, my problem is I saw like her Like you MSNBC. think she's a very nice person. Right. Uh, she comes off uh, pleasant. Mm-hmm. But I've yes. seen her on MSNBC uh, just spewing venom oh. on the previous <laughs> president. So I know yeah. they got the other okay. side to it. Haven't heard, I haven't seen that. The other thing is I just get the sense I don't even want to play the sound bites. And here's why. I got the sense that Jen Psaki was in on the decisions. Knew exactly what was going on. In fact, she sometimes, I think, would try to lead the president by her statements because they were full of what I think were factual yeah. things about the administration. She's just trying to answer questions by print by the printed. So word. I wonder if she's going to be um, out, and then I don't know. Maybe John uh, John Kirby is very good at what he does. He could be somebody that would uh, that would I think be a much better press secretary for for the administration. The other thing on oil is um, I was reading that. Um, the Biden administration is saying no more offshore drilling in the Pacific and the Atlantic. <laughs> is that At a time, I guess, are you joking me? Right. They have not like, made that official yet, got, have they? Um, I think that the I think they announced it. Um, maybe that maybe it was like a plan. Maybe that was their, the the plan going into it. But I think the EPA has to release that report, and it came out on Friday. Um, we can look that up. Let's do a little production during the show. But yeah, the, but the the issue with that is that. Uh, President Biden got criticized by all the progressives who said that it didn't go far enough because he's still allowing some drilling in Texas and New Mexico it's, it's or a, Alaska and New Mexico. I, I mean, be, be, besides the border, you know, you do this too. Sometimes news stories that I don't even know the people, but it, if you got they, ca- I carry them home. That using the strategic oil reserve and having China and India buy it. India, if India was not propping up Russia, there'll be more Ukrainians alive right now. 
and they are not even the victim of secondary sanctions. They are paying no political price for that, and they are buying our oil. And I ask you this. If the American people knew that our strategic oil reserve was going into the world market as opposed to American uh, American gas tanks and homes, how do you think we'd feel about that? Because we're making ourselves less secure at the same time we're bringing it into a world market and maybe taking three cents off our gallon per gas. And it's not just any oil. We have the Brian. best oil. It's the well, but it's also the oil reserve. It's supposed yeah. to be kept in the United States for hardcore emergencies. Right. And natural disasters. Right. We when we come back, we're gonna find out if Carly needs to know more. Oh, I would love But to. you were also in Nassau County, Long Island. Oh, I cannot and wait to it. tell this story. All right. That story and more with Carly Shimkus. And then she starts partying like there is no tomorrow. You better believe 10-01, it. 1001, baby. She <laughs> starts her weekend. You've worked how many straight days? Um just the standard five. Oh really? Yeah. Did you work over the weekend too? Oh, did I? I can't even remember. Well, I Monday, so, well, I, you know, oh, I had a really long, yes, I had a really long Friday because I was on Nassau County right. until until almost midnight. I know. And she felt, and Phil, our friendship is so strong, you didn't contact I me. I know Brian so much more now uh, you, after this without trip. Me I'll tell there. you why. Yes. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Carly Shimkus, we have a few minutes uh, to talk before we do more to know. You went to Nassau County, and you now know I went to college there. Oh, boy. I've, I've renamed Nassau County Kilmeade County, by the way. Okay. And here's why. Because, uh, first of all, I went there to film uh, a little story that ran on Fox & Friends uh, on the 4th of July. It was just this fun little fireworks package, uh, which, by the way, in Westbury, New York, which is on Nassau, uh, on Long Island in Nassau County, um, huge fireworks show. Did you know that? What day was it? Sunday? Um, it was on Friday, last okay. Friday. So before the 4th Did of July. Did not know that we had. Oh, my gosh. It's, am- it's amazing. And the Nassau County police, by the way, are my new best friends. Took me around. They're amazing. They did a great job. Kept every, everybody safe. Anyway, people would approach me throughout this whole thing, and I was like, oh, maybe they watch Fox and Friends first. You know, it was great. And they, everybody was like, did you know that I went to college with Brian? <laughs> they, didn't care, they didn't care who I – I talked about you for four straight hours with really? people. I met one of your college friends. I met somebody who you coach soccer with or something like that in, in the world of soccer. And that somebody came up to me, your son's high school friend. So okay. it's, we're getting to a second Kill Me generation there. Um, an, another guy who went to high school with you. The icing on the top of the cake was the main guy who I was there to interview. His name is Phil Grucci. He owns Grucci Fireworks. I went to college with him. Oh, he go after the interview, Brian. We do this interview about fireworks. It was fun. He goes, I was about to walk away. He goes, oh, by the way, did you know that I was uh, Brian Kilmeade's RA in college? I was like, I can't get away from this. <laughs> I cannot get away from this. It's really Felix Grucci Jr. that I graduated college with because they also had that explosion. That I wiped. know. I, well, I heard about it yeah. after the fact that there was a – well, they – do great work now, but that was a big thing that happened on Long Island. Was it was it a fire- Gucci fireworks show? Yes, it was. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. So gr- the Gucci fireworks is I know a lot about them, but they've done um, every presidential inauguration from Reagan to Trump. They've done Olympics. Uh, they have eleven Guinness World Records. 
Did you know that? I did not know any of that, but mm-hmm. now I did because now that that becomes a national story. Oh, are we done? We're done. Oh shoot! Did I screw it up with my fireworks story? Okay, no, good. No, I, I well, Brian, means- you have a legion of fa- fans in your hometown. Right. I met a lot of them. And um, Carly, I think it's time for you to move to Nassau County. <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe you should. We're going to talk about it. Okay. Gonna, I will, I'll, I'll get you a realtor. Oh, that sounds good. I would right. need one of those. Right. Maybe I could just move into your basement? That'll no? be good. Okay, cool. Don't have one, though. <laughs> Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. But heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine, uh, we have uh, this hour we're going to be joined by the former CEO of Home Depot, the former CEO of Chrysler, Bob Nardelli, to put in perspective how this economy is really rolling. Uh, matter of moments, Geraldo, also a couple of notes, news and notes. First off, the horrific news that Abe, Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan, has been assassinated. Uh, it happened by this 41-year-old. Navy veteran, decided didn't like his policies. He was campaigning for his party. He was the prime minister. He resigned. He had colitis. And was uh, when you're in a stress in a situation with colitis, you don't, uh, you go through hell. He decided to resign. But he was campaigning for his policies and his party, and he was gunned down with a homemade gun. It looks like two pipes that you might put below your sink, taped together, firearm made, and the shot hit neck and back dead almost before he hit the ambulance. A tragedy in one of the most peaceful countries in the world. Uh, We'll talk about that. And also we added uh, 372,000 jobs above the 286,000 expected, but below last month's the least added since President Biden took office. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm not going to second guess the district attorney um, for his actions. My heart goes out for that hardworking, honest New Yorker where a person came in and went behind the counter and attacked him. Yes, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor, but I would condemn the DA. Why not? Victims no more. A bodega owner stands up to an attacker in New York City and kills a career criminal, and he goes to jail? What? That was the story, but now it's changing, and the public outrage is the reason we will bring you the watershed moment. Number two. So what Texas is doing, the unprecedented, and that is... Texas law enforcement and National Guard, uh, anybody they apprehend coming across the border illegally, they will be returning to the border. Good going, Governor. You have to do something. He's had enough. The governor grants state authorities the power to return illegals to the border as Biden quietly builds a Trump wall in California that we paid for already. If you want to know how bad it is, 5,000 apprehended in Texas just last holiday weekend. We'll bring you the latest. Number one. Why do you think it is that 88% of people in this country think the country is on the wrong track? The president understands what the American people are going through. He understands that gas prices are high um, because of Putin's tax hike. Ugh. Biden's economy sucking wind and the administration seems to be bare just sucking overall. And the Dems are furious. We look at the economy and his actions as new jobs numbers uh, are threatening to cloud the only sunny spot on the economic landscape. But 372,000 is fine. It's great if we didn't have a pandemic. We are still over 500,000 jobs short of where we were prior to 2019 when China poisoned the world. Geraldo Rivera is with us now, co-host of The Five. You know, he grew up in New York and knows the New York beat as well as anyone. 
Uh, this was uh, Geraldo. This was 139th Street and Broadway at a bodega. If you own a bodega shop, you're grinding every day. This was the dad of the owner just working for his son, and he ends up having to stab his way uh, away from this criminal. Your thoughts about how this all went down? Well, I know the neighborhood very well. Uh, my uh, my potential gravesite or prospective gravesite is at Trinity uh, right there, Broadway, 145th. Uh, I shot a movie there in a bodega with uh, Lynn Morel, uh, Miguel uh, Miranda. I know the area very well. I remember the days uh, when bodegas used to be protected by a, a gunman with a shotgun who was on duty uh, 24-7 just behind uh, the cashier. And then when someone came in, if it was a robbery, the guy would come out, and if the uh, potential perp didn't surrender immediately, he was shot. And none of those uh, shootings Where were deemed that? anything other than uh, that was New York? Was the, the 50s, the 50s, the 60s. You were allowed uh, to carry a gun in New business. York back then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shotguns. Absolutely. And cops used to be uh, employed very often to do that task. And the NYPD had a task force specifically to protect bodegas because they are so vulnerable, open, you know, late hours, uh, a cash business and so forth. But in this case, it was shocking to me when I heard that the charge was murder. I mean, if you're going to do a second-degree manslaughter, uh, maybe, and then it gets dropped because of self-defense. But for Alvin Bragg, the district attorney of New York County, an office I know well, I used to work there as an intern back in, uh, back in the day, um, so did my daughter. Uh, it is uh, for them, to, for Bragg, the New York County DA, to charge murder is uh, speaking to a constituency that he does not understand. Uh, you know, American uh, people, New Yorkers, want uh, to root for the people who fight for their rights. Uh, this guy, uh, to me, Alba, was a, a hero. Uh, he was pushed around by a much younger man, an ex-con, uh, who knew what was going to happen next. He took the knife out, and then even in the act of defending himself, he was stabbed apparently uh, or reportedly by the woman who started it all uh, by complaining to her boyfriend that the guy had uh, you know, not uh, honored a credit card that was expired or some such. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was it was a food stamp bad. card, whatever that EBT card. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah and the guy's I, name uh, was Austin Simon, and, the, and the, uh, the bodega guy that was working there was uh, Jose Alba. Here's what the mayor said yesterday, cut 15. It's obvious this gentleman was here, um, broken, providing for his family. As I saw it from the video, I saw a worker here inside the store following the law. And he should not have been approached in the manner that he was approached. And, 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 but yet he won't condemn the DA in his actions. If, the, if you can sit there and look at the video, why would you put somebody in Rikers Island for a night and put 250000 bail on him and then dismantle the good fund, GoFundMe page? So this was an unbelievable series of events. I mean, that's what, we're, that's what cops are up against. No matter what's going on, you defend totally yourself or, or who you arrest. They get out or they arrest the wrong people. I I totally get your frustration, but I think uh, you can't bury the lead that that was the mayor of the city of New York who is condemning the arrest of uh, Alba uh, and the the murder charge. He may not have uh, uh, taken on the D.A., but that was really a seminal event where the mayor of the city of New York says New Yorkers have the right 
to defend themselves. You know, in an in era like this, where there's not always a cop on the corner. Sometimes you got to do it yourself. And I thought, and I think the mayor is exactly right. I, I saw the video and watched it very carefully as well. This guy was m- minding his business. He was assailed. He was threatened. He was physically uh, assaulted. Uh, Alba was, I mean, if it was a gun, there wouldn't even be this discussion. The fact that it was a knife is what makes it unique. Well, what, uh, what if but, he had uh, a legal you know, gun? I'm not sure. I'm not, what if he had a legal firearm and shot him? He, I don't. I don't think he would have had as much trouble as he's having right now. But I, I believe really? that it was caught in time. I, th- I believe that Bragg has no choice now that the mayor of the city of New York and the New York Post and a very substantial hunk of the New York uh, City uh, establishment is behind the shopkeeper. The Bodega Association put up his bail. Uh, you know, it's uh, he, he's not, he is not alone. I'm sorry. He spent a night in Rikers. I'm also sorry that this uh, this young man is dead. Uh, you know, uh, regardless of fact he brought it on himself, it's still a tragedy, bro. Right. Uh, so yesterday, the the chief of police had a presser at four o'clock. Now I hear great things about Chief Sewell uh, from the people she worked with at Nassau County, but I never hear from her. And I, I'm used to just the Brattons, the Ray Kellys of the world speaking more. But she doesn't say it. Maybe she wants to, the mayor speaks enough. Who knows? Maybe she's getting used to the job. But it looks like crime is up all throughout the city, overall about 35%. The only thing that's down, and it's only slightly, is murders. And she said that they are finding that it's the same people over and over again. Geraldo, this is not tough. This is not calculus. Why are we pretending as if the no-bail laws are working when we know that the studies have revealed, even with a new administration— that the same people are committing crimes again for your own political survival, let alone the survival of New Yorkers. Why not I'm start for, changing the policy? Absolutely. I'm, you know, maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a broken old man, but I look fondly back on Kelly and Bratton and the, and the chiefs during Giuliani and Bloomberg who made New York the safest big city on earth, the safest big city on earth. Uh, and we need, we hearken back to those days. It can't be great. It can't be great if you're afraid someone's going to come into your bodega and beat you up if uh, you refuse to uh, give him, uh, you know, beat, beat him up or, or do something worse because of uh, his refusal to allow you to walk out. I mean, we've seen these outrageous petty thefts and grand thefts and, and smash and grabs and, and things that were unheard of in my day growing up in New York. It, 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 you'd never had uh, people so, so flagrantly uh, flaunting uh, law and human decency and, you know, uh, you know right. pushing people on subways. And, I know. Or rather, uh, I, know, got one more thing, I got one more thing to bring up besides crime. In Los Angeles now, the National Education Association resolution is put forward. They're going to change the vernacular and telling teachers to start, instead of saying mother, say birthing parent. Instead of saying, um, uh, instead of, uh, instead of, um, number one, they, everyone's got to go back to the uh, pronouncing. It says the National Association Resolution said, using the contract language, members need now to not worry how a board of education defines maternity leave, mother or father. The language is an inclusive reflection of the LGBTQUA. Do you think birthing people is better, birthing parent is better than mother? I absolutely don't know why these people pick fights they don't have to. <laughs> I mean, there's enough to deal with 
uh, in terms of uh, successfully integrating trans and other people into broader society, I mean, we have such real uh, issues to face. To make a fake issue, that's like Latinx. Nobody, I'm, you know, nobody that speaks Spanish says Latinx. Nobody who's Spanish who doesn't speak Spanish says Latinx. It's it's the same small clique of elites who really don't have uh, their uh, ear to the ground, who, uh, you know, they come up with, with uh, these, these monikers that are so absurd. Why would you, know, you insult wh- moms? Why would I be? I would be a, a non-birthing a parent who reports uh, the, uh, the news uh, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it would be ridiculous. Right. Uh, the last thing was they're trying to get meritocracy out of the curriculum as well. They believe that meritocracy is code for white privilege. Because meritocracy, everything leans to white people. Do you think that's a good message for schools? I absolutely do not. I absolutely do not. I do believe that some, uh, uh, I think some consideration should definitely be given to the exigent circumstance under which a kid came up. I think that a kid who had a a, a rough time uh, deserves some, some consideration for the fact that he or she survived it. Uh, so I, I do think that they should get some props for that in some admission process. Uh, on, on the other hand, I think that to throw out meritocracy, to, throw, to take the genius amongst us and, made it media, and make it mediocre because you're afraid to offend the mediocre, I think is, is preposterous. He is Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, when are you going to be on the five again? Uh, I come back next week. I'm only going to work one day a week in July. It's it's my birth month. I'm 79 years old. I come back to work at August. Right. So you talked about uh, when are you going to pick a plot? You said it's one of the areas you're considering. It's I picked it right right near Cotches. Okay. Why would you do that? I would never pick my my gravesite. Well, I, I I did it because I don't want my family to worry about it. It's a nice spot. I wanted a nice view of the Hudson. You know, you got the Hudson on one side, you got the bodegas on the other side. I'm upset. Right. Really? Okay. I, mean, I didn't know you, you pick a plot for the view or for the other people when they come to visit you. I feel so depressed. Whatever. It's a, it's a nice setting. It's right. a nice setting. And I also know you're, you're out in the Hamptons, so you're able to, to really enjoy the summer. No one enjoys life more than Geraldo. Geraldo, thanks thank so you, much. Thank you. All, All right, right bro. Appreciate pleasure. it. Bob Nardelli at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, the latest on the fallout after the assassination of the former prime minister of Japan. We also will look at these job numbers and how it affects you uh, on a daily basis and the coming apart. And the announcement this afternoon, uh, the president is going to use executive, executive action to attack Roe v. Wade. What could that be? We'll discuss it only here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So I got kind of uh, cool news. Uh, It took a while to put everything together because of the pandemic and these theaters need to get ramped up again, get staff, find out who's what their state is going to allow them to do. I'm talking about going on stage live. Gives me a chance to interact with all of you. I get it on the radio and it's always great to take calls and get your emails. 
Uh, and I like seeing people in the street incidentally, but a few years ago we decided wouldn't it be great instead of just having a book signing and shaking a couple person's hand for a, uh, shaking hundreds of people's hands and having only maybe 40 seconds with them, wouldn't it be great to have a live show where we can create our own format, get a few hours in there, be able to, to talk about the war on history, how America has been great from the start in many respects, with George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and now the president and freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. And you talk about that, talk about Fox, talk about the news, and interact with an audience. And we've done, how many shows would you say we've done? Maybe 15? Maybe 15, yeah, 15 shows live on stage. So I'm going to uh, have tickets go on sale as of yesterday on these four locations where we go on stage. There's VIP opportunities where I get a chance to hang out with you before the show, uh, personalize your books. Book's going to be available after, and I'll sign them after. Uh, but in, I'll be in Newark, New Jersey, August 27th. That's especially for WABC listeners. But you can drive from all around. I hear the theater's fantastic. In Albany, New York, at The Egg, thanks to WG. DJ, I'm already getting communication about it. You heard about it at 1300 in Albany. Our coveted affiliate up there knows everything that's going on with the Cuomo sweepstakes and who the next governor is going to be. I had a great book signing up there, so now I'm going to go on stage. So that'll be September 8th, the following week. Then when the book comes out, the President Freedom Fighter comes out on paperback, I've integrated these live events in between. Brandon, Mississippi, November 12th. Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th. KRMG listeners, hope to see you all out there. Uh, arguably, uh, one of the best signs you'll ever have is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So no matter what you do, big event, small event, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, whatever it is, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma are very, very loyal uh, listeners, and we always appreciate that. That's a great station. So go to briankilme.com. Just, just follow the prompts. Just click on it and just get tickets uh, where you want and VIP so I can meet you before. Um, and you'll see those opportunities there. So just go to BrianKillMead.com. Excited about that. Me, uh, meanwhile, uh, real quick, I want you. Nah, I don't probably don't have time with only a minute, but I'm going to be discussing this this hour. Do you know this? Hunter Biden's international business dealings are maddening. One of the reasons is he got away with it. Number two is that people are ignoring it up until about a month ago. Now people are beginning to speak out. And if you think it's getting bad now, Hunter, it is going to get really bad if the Republicans take the House like they should. And it's going to get bad for the president. This guy's got a crack and a hooker problem. Got it. But his international business deal has been flagged by the IRS hundred and the Treasury 150 times. If you or I got flagged once or twice, it would almost bring all of our banking transactions to its knees, from your 401k to your pensions to your checking account. But he gets flagged 150 times. How that story relates to our strategic oil reserve being bought by a Chinese company. Hunter Biden's got stakes in. Unbelievable. Bob Nardelli next. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have to act and we have to show action on behalf of the American people. And that's exactly what the president is doing. He's saying bringing prices down is his top priority. And every day he's focused on practical things that he can do. You need a president who's going to keep at it and who's going to communicate clear to the American people that we are making progress, that we have made enormous economic progress, but that he's not satisfied and we're going to stay at it. All right. That is Brian Deese. Uh, anything but reassuring over the last few weeks. Uh, the guy was doing 
I think altruistic work at BlackRock, uh, not the stuff that really uh, turns companies around. I just think he's ill-equipped for this position. I think most people in that administration are, if you look at the the way they've responded and not responded to these economic challenges, uh, I'm really hard to argue with that. Uh, we would say that 372,000 jobs have been added. That's much more than the 286 thought of, but we're still looking to get back to equal level in 29, where we were in 2019. With me right now is Bob Nardelli, founder and CEO of XLR, uh, XLR8, LLC Investment Advisory Company, former chairman and CEO of Home Depot and Chrysler and CEO of GE. Besides that, his resume really doesn't look that good. Bob, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's always great to be with you. And thanks for getting the real news out uh, all day long. It's uh, it's very refreshing. Uh, it's worrisome. And I think it was the first time I can remember Democrats seem to be uh, as in sense, maybe for different reasons, as Republicans about the administration. There doesn't seem to be a strategy. There doesn't seem to be relentlessness. There's empty schedules for presidents. Now, you know what a CEO does. That's what we have the country CEO here. I mean, there's there's perception, there's there's messaging and there's action. What are you seeing from the White House? Yeah, Brian, I, I was listening to uh, to uh, Brian's comments you know, as the economic advisor. Now, I, I know I recall Brian Deese from my days at Chrysler. He was part of the Carzar organization. So I think your comments are certainly grounded and founded relative to uh, the contribution that he and this team is making. It's there's a lot of bantering. There's a lot of words going around. But, you know, the thing I learned over 50 years is is it's all about execution. And uh, I certainly don't see that happening uh, if you think about energy, for example, Brian, we have a terrible mismatch between supply and demand, and nothing is nothing is being done positively, proof positively, to improve that. If if we really wanted to do something, we would get back to allowing more fracking. We would uh, certainly open up the pipeline, but we have again a, a terrible mismatch, and I don't see that getting better. Matter of fact, Brian, I think it's going to get worse as we see Russia and Germany go at it, and Germany's going to need more help, not less, as uh, as they get into this battle and the issue over, over Ukraine. So, uh, you know, the export of uh, natural gas, uh, we had a company at one time, Brian, that allowed you to, you would need a terminal on this side of the, of the country to actually stuff an LNG ship, but you there was a technology we had that would allow you to use seawater and basically go from LNG to natural gas right to the pipeline. Uh, because, but, but at that point, we didn't need it. We had energy independence. And this administration decided on day one to surrender our energy independence and make us vulnerable and more dependent on supply from Saudi Arabia and other countries that we kind of uh, held, held at arm's length in advance because of some of their political issues and humanitarian issues. But I think supply chain on a broader scale, Brian, again, is inseparably linked, inseparably linked to inflation. And again, I heard what Brian said about prices coming down. You know, I just spent an hour this morning with one of our portfolio companies. Again, I deal with Fortune 500, mid caps, and we're seeing 20 percent increases regularly. I was in L.A. last week and I saw a 4 percent price increase for health and happiness charge for for the restaurant. Uh, I don't see this going down at all. Price increases are almost like COVID. They're spreading like crazy. 
and everybody is rushing to increase prices because they think the door might close as we get into a further decline right. in the second half of this year, Brian. Bob, if, when you're running Chrysler, I know you're dealing with maybe well-meaning people. They're usually militant and impossible to deal with, my humble opinion. But the, these people who want clean, burning fuel, these green maniacs. So you got to deal with everybody, especially a Democratic administration that only thinks like that. But there's got to be a practical streak within you to say one is a hope and one is reality. Germany is facing the reality. They are refiring up coal plants and nuclear plants, reportedly. We have the ability to fight our way out of this through fracking. We have stopped offshore drilling through re, uh, the reforming the permit process for these leases and not only help ourselves, but help our allies and therefore save lives in the Ukraine. Am I overstating that? Not, not at all, Brian. One of the biggest geopolitical advantages we had is when we had energy independence, where we could actually export LNG. And, and there's a ample supply of, of gas in this country, both in the ground. And, and Brian, the other hidden fact is there's tremendous amount of, of gas that we are currently flaring from fracking operations. We were, if we're able to collect that gas and then repurpose it not only to run small peaker turbines around the country to make sure that we didn't get the rolling brownouts that are predicted that probably will happen with high temperatures and lot, land, lot line sags on, on the distribution system. You know, there's a lot of talk about price increases, but one the administration doesn't talk about, through May, uh, EV vehicles were up 22%, Brian, and energy costs are also up commensurate with that. Look, I think everybody wants So what does to- that mean? Break that down. So we have people buy more electric vehicles. Okay, that's fine. That's your choice. And when we go to plug them in, the energy costs are now greater. And obviously, as stats show, most of the electricity is generated from coal, right? Yeah, so e- exactly. And, and I think everybody is in support of reducing the carbon footprint, but it has to happen within a controllable time schedule. And and you can't uh, flip the switch and get us to where this administration wants us to be. It is causing a crippling effect on, on our economy and every aspect of business from small, medium to large. And, and to, you know, to punish or, or to go after the utilities, the energy company, to go after the container uh, vessels. Again, it's simple economics, Brian. When you have 500 ships floating full of containers and the availability is low, people are going to pay more because they're desperate to get parts. And in, there was a report this morning about the auto industry uh, having a parts availability problem. Uh, with the heat coming on, try to get replacement parts for your uh, HVAC equipment in your home. I mean, I'm I'm on a six month delay right now myself, Brian, and and I'm experiencing price increases. I mean, my my office phone system went from two hundred dollars a month to seven hundred dollars a month. Unbelievable voice over IP. So there there is this shrinkflation, which I can give you examples, and then there's hidden inflation. I think the number we're seeing that the administration give, is giving us is deceptively correct. I would tell you it's at least a point to a point and a half higher. If you really were to, to track on all inflation that we're seeing, I mean, have your audience send you examples of what they're experiencing every day in their common lives as people are rushing to increase prices and they're not going to go back and it's going to get worse in the second half. 
So I think what you need to do is when you look around and see the C team of economic experts around, even if you, whatever you do, you got to address your weaknesses in life and you got to be humble enough to assess yourself honestly. And if what I would like to do, if I'm running this country, I need to get out of this. So I'd be meeting with CEOs. I'd be meeting with small business owners associations. I'd be finding out what they think they what needs to be done, what the reality is. For example, on the show Fox and Friends this morning, I talked to a, a parts deal, a, a, a repair shop that has seven different outlets. And they talk about the struggle to get things like catalytic converters, uh, to get windshield wipers. They have to hunt for everything. And therefore, people are coming in. They don't get paid. The people, they they can't get the money to repair their car. They can't get the parts to repair their car. So they're hustling around as if they're working a junkyard in order to get new parts. And he said, I never thought I'd be doing this two years after the pandemic, you know, two years after they shut down the economy. So you got to meet with the supply chain experts. you got to meet with the auto executives. you got to meet with the small business associations. I don't see any of that. I see empty schedules and three-day weekends. Yeah, Brian. And, and when you do meet, you can't meet to berate these people. I mean, you can't get the energy CEOs in an office and tell them and scold them how bad they are. I mean, you need to reach out. You need to reach out and ask for help. I mean, that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of confidence. So when you go out and I've seen that, you know, again, over 50 years, uh, I was always willing to reach out and ask for advice and help to be able to perform better, to meet schedules and meet shareholder expectations, uh, Brian. And that's just not being done. I mean, they, they almost have uh, like a set of blinders on with a focus on something that's not attainable in the short term. And, and we are continuing to go in a death spiral in this country. I mean, if you, look at, if you look at some of the analysts that are saying, well, corporate earnings are good, Brian, you got to ask the really tough question. Is it because of price? Is it because of mix? Because it sure isn't because of volume, Brian. And so all these price increases are falling through and putting a tremendous burden on the consumer, but it's allowing corporations to show profitability because they're being hammered by their investors. Just look at what's happened to the stock market. You've reported it very accurately in in, in your morning show. And I did see your segment this morning about outer parts. Myself, I, I had to personally get on the phone and start dialing for a headlight assembly unit for my wife's car. And finally, I found one in the country. And because of my my relationship, I was able to get that expedited so that uh, so that we could have a replacement headlight on the front of the car. I mean, it's it's that I'm doing it every day. I spent a couple of weeks ago all day Sunday dialing for parts for chips for one of my companies so that they could meet their customers expectations that then meets their customers expectations. What I call is see through accountability to the end, end consumer. And we're dealing with this every day, and it's putting tremendous stress. Some of these corporations are starting to trip their covenants. What does that mean? That means their, their, their leverage ratios with the banks. And we're seeing that every day, more and more pressure. As inventories build, because we're out of balance, we're getting 90% of the parts, lacking 10%. Therefore, we see inventory increases in one of my companies, $50 million dollars. Some medium-sized company that cannot afford to carry that inventory, Brian. I want you to hear the, what the president's address was. When the cost of oil does come down, we need the price at the gas stations that they what they charge at the pump to come down as well. For example, in the last two weeks, the price of oil has fallen by more than ten dollars a barrel. 
Normally, this reduced the cost of the pump about 25 cents a gallon. Yet, so far, gas stations have only reduced prices by a few cents a gallon. So what does he not understand? What he doesn't understand is, uh, is the, the inventory situation. In other words, as costs went up, a lot of these gas stations were not passing on the cost commensurate with the price increase. They now realize that it's only going to get worse, and they're starting to see that. So, again, you know, you've had some of the CEOs of the banks on, on, on your program, and, and one of them in particular said, listen, we were in the ditch for a while. Now we're trying to recover, so we are going to keep inflation rates, interest rates higher to try to make up for the hole that we dug while we were going through the first phases of, of this recession. So, you know, prices are up. Supply chain costs are up. To have that gas delivered to the pump, Brian, you know, I guarantee you I'm seeing it in, in my business where you're seeing fuel surcharges because of diesel costs. So this is not going to roll back immediately. I mean, the 18 cents that he talks about, whether it's 20 cents, you know, that's not going to change the price at the pump significantly. What could happen is there was a question asked to one of two pump manufacturers, uh, you know, these pumps that pump pe petro at the station. And they're being asked, can you volume metrically reduce the amount of gas that you're paying for? So in other words, if you see $5 a gallon, it may lead to a point where you're only going to get three quarts instead of four quarts, Brian. And so, again, there's this psychological thing that we see at the shelves where the price is the same, but the, the amount you're getting is reduced, out, less ounces and less parts in, 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 uh, wow. in what you're buying on the shelf. So this thing is just having a compound effect on what we're experiencing as an individual consumer and a producer, Brian. Well, it's, uh, it's incredible what's going on. Uh, we did add 372,000 jobs. Wages are going up, but they're not keeping up with inflation. Lastly, uh, the word is uh, Paul Volcker uh, in, the 70, in the 80s uh, came in, and when he became uh, chairman of the Fed, he raised interest rates to beat inflation. And a lot of Democrats are fearing that the president is going to go along with the Fed and do that. Is that how you would approach inflation? Is that the only way to stop inflation, to have it met by high interest rates, to slow down the economy? Well, I think two things. Just to go back, I mean, we still have 1.3 million on the payroll, government payroll. And if we're creating all that jobs, why is the, unemp why is the unemployment rate not uh, going lower? Because again, it's it's a uh, it's it's not a correct, it's a deceptive reality uh, in those numbers. Now, on the inflation rate, if you're not willing to do some of the things that you've suggested, which I concur with, then the only lever that this administration has is to raise interest rates, which is going to have a compounding effect on the economy and the consumer. If you if you don't increase supply, if you don't get container ships unloaded. If you don't increase the flow of material and you're only looking singularly at one solution, that's going to be increasing interest rates. We're already seeing housing. We're always seeing mortgage rates. We're seeing uh, new autos. We're seeing uh, construction permits all collapsing. Talking to one of my contractors, commercial contractors, he can't get PVC piping because of based on petroleum product and oil shortages. So this thing, I mean, the tentacles of destruction that's caused right now in this economy are, are unprecedented, right? Unprecedented. When I was running Chrysler in 7, 8, and 9, we focused on one thing. That was the financial institutions were melting down. Now, I've never seen the complexity 
that's challenging the CEOs today in my entire career. It's more complex, more diverse, and trying to satisfy such a broad range of constituents, Brian. you end up satisfying no one, Brian, no one. He's the CEO of XLR8, uh, LLC investment advisory company, former chairman, CEO of Home Depot, Chrysler, and GE. Uh, Bob Mardelli, it's always educational to talk to you and interesting. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian, very much. Keep up, keep up the great work. I will try. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, your chance to talk, one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, welcome back, guys. We're going to try to squeeze in as many calls as possible, but to talk to a guy like Bob Nardelli, who's run three of the best, most successful companies in the country, uh, was just too valuable to stop. My apologies. Alex, you're listening online in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say that Shinzo Abe had a lifelong go of repealing Article 9 of their con- of Japan's constitution. I think the Japanese people should honor Shinzo Abe by repealing Article 9, converting their self-defense force into a full-blown official military force and establishing it uh, its independence yeah. from the United States. Alex, you know States what? I, I, I would love that. It would just take the pressure off us in the region, and we have an ally that knows how to fight and has a history of defending itself, sometimes too aggressively. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Shannon Bream. How do I know? It's on my list, and Allison usually gets these things right. And Congressman Mike Waltz, the Green Beret, he is uh, very active on our defense uh, and also knows the challenges that we're having around the world, including Vladimir Putin being very standoffish, to say the least, as he says, I'm willing to take on any uh, nation of the West. And he says he's just going to take a pause. Things are going to get worse for Ukraine unless they come to the table with a peace deal. We'll get his take on that. Also, uh, the news, Abe, uh, Shinzo Abe has been assassinated in Japan, one of the most peaceful nations on the planet. Well, has almost the strictest gun laws on the planet. A 41-year-old uh, Navy vet decided to make his own rifle and killed him on the spot. Shot to the neck, a shot to the back. We see it all on camera. This is devastating to Donald Trump personally. It was well, They became very great friends. And then we'll talk about the job number, 372,000 jobs added. We'll get the perspective on what that means for our overall economy. Uh, the market so far likes it. We're up about 70 points. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm not going to second guess the district attorney um, for his actions. My heart goes out. For that hardworking, honest New Yorker where a person came in and went behind the counter and attacked him. 
Yep. Uh, congratulations, Mr. Mayor. You got half of that right. You were right. The bodega owner was right to defend himself and kill his assailant that was trying to beat him to a pulp. Uh, but on the other thing, the AG, the DA should be called out. And we'll talk about that uh, because I believe this is a watershed moment. The American people are tired of being victims and can't wait for the cops. Number two. So what Texas is doing, the unprecedented, and that is Texas law enforcement and National Guard, uh, anybody they apprehend coming across the border illegally, they will be returning to the border. Okay. State's taking it on themselves. It's Governor Craig Abbott. Had enough. Texas Governor grants state authorities uh, the power to return illegals to the border themselves because the government is not, the federal government. This after 5,000 apprehended in Texas just this last weekend. Will this work? Number one. Why do you think it is that 88% of people in this country think the country is on the wrong track? The president understands what the American people are going through. He understands that gas prices are high um, because of Putin's tax hike. Ugh, Putin's tax hike. Biden's economy sucking wind, and his administration seems to bear just sucking, be just sucking, as Dems are furious. We're going to look at the economy, the president's free schedule, and new jobs numbers as they threaten the cloud, his only sunny spot. And the good news is unemployment states at 3.6%. The better news is Shannon Bream joins me now. Fox News legal analyst, anchor of Fox News at night at 12 o'clock. Uh, best-selling author. Shannon, your reaction first off uh, to the jobs numbers, about 100,000 more than they thought. Well, listen, it's good. We all want good news about the economy for sure. And anytime that needle can move in the right direction, it's awesome. Our problem is the labor participation rate where we still have over 10, 11 million jobs that are open and employers desperate saying people will not come back to work. So, you know, there's a lot to digest in these two of numbers this morning, but I think all Americans would agree. Anytime we have a bright spot or a positive spot, it's good for all of us. I do. I think that's good. I also think I would love to see the inflation tackle because that did tick up. And we have about we're still 500,000 jobs short of where we were pre-pandemic. And we know that only 10 percent of the country, 10 percent of the country feel as though we're heading in the right direction. Perhaps Mm -hmm. the most maddening thing is the fact that oil and gas is under our feet. It's in our waters. He stopped offshore drilling. The fracking is leveled off. LNG is not being exported at the same rate it was. And our own strategic oil reserve, this revelation that is being sold, according to Reuters, to places like China and India. So I want you to hear what Daniel Turner said. He's the founder of The Power of the Future. Cut five. So the son, the, the president's reprobate crackhead son is invested in a company that is buying our strategic reserves while we're paying more than $5 a gallon at the pump. If we had a, a, an impeachment hearing about a phone call with Donald Trump and President Zelensky, if this doesn't cause Jerry Nadler and it doesn't cause Adam Schiff to ask some questions and for Congress to do its job and wonder how this Biden crime family is profiting while the American people are suffering. I don't understand if there is a more uh, offense that is more worthy of investigating for impeachment. It's unpatriotic now, and it's shameful and uh, it's potentially criminal. Now, uh, I would think so. And we know about about 150 violations by the Treasury on different transactions that, that Hunter Biden has made. But how about that revelation, this story, uh, Shannon? That's 
so crazy. I've tried to follow this trail here on the different um, Chinese energy companies and the state companies and all these different things about what's going on there. It, it leaves me with a lot of questions, but I know that if it was Hunter Trump, if that was the last name, there would be more people interested in getting to the bottom of those questions. And we shouldn't care what the last name is. If there's something that appears to be this off, especially when the American people are struggling this much over every time they go to the pain at the pump, um, we should get answers. And you know the Republicans on the House Oversight Committee are trying to get from the Treasury those suspicious activity reports you mentioned that allegedly there are some 150 dealing with Hunter Biden and potentially um, President Biden's brother and other uh, folks. And now the Treasury Department says, well, now you can't get those unless the Democrat on the committee also signs off, which why would they ever? I mean, there's just not going to be a scenario when they do that. But Democrats have to remember that if Republicans retake the White House and, you know, both houses of Congress, that rule is going to apply to them, too. It leaves the minority party, you know, almost defenseless in trying to right. investigate. Um, so, man, I, I just I, I think it's fair to ask, what would the media do? What would Treasury do if the last thing was Trump and not Biden? Shannon, this just came across. The Wisconsin Supreme Court on Friday prohibited the use of most drop boxes for voters to return absentee ballots, given the state's Republicans Given the state's Republicans a major victory, the 4-3 ruling by the court's conservative majority will take effect for Wisconsin's primary election next month. Though it's true most will, most, impact, uh, most impact most likely will not be felt until November general election. Mm-hmm. They want people. They don't feel they're safe. They want people to actually go to vote. And if it's going to be a mail-in vote, should go to the precinct. It should not go to a, be dropped in a drop box. Well, I think even if you're for the Dropbox, if you say, like, listen, it provides a certain amount of convenience for people with weird work hours or other demands on their lives, I don't understand people saying that they shouldn't be monitored. Like, we can't put a camera on them or we can't have an undercover police officer or keep an eye on the, from the parking lot. I mean, you have to answer those questions. If you're against those kinds of protections, you need to tell people why. I mean, the, the argument is, well, it will intimidate certain voters. Well, not if you're just dropping off your ballot. I mean, that, that should not be an excuse for not having some kind of monitoring. But I think states are going to have a really tough time because so many of these new ways of voting, um, new methods came into being during COVID when we were um, very frightened and people were very nervous about the spread and what we didn't know and and contact and those kinds of things. But states now have in in many places given that power out. Um, It's going to take a long fight like you saw in Wisconsin to their state Supreme Court to kind of claw some of those things back. And I think some states probably won't do that. Um. All right. I'd like to move on, if I can, and talk about what's going to happen. January 6th committee, Pat Cipollone, is going to be in front of them at some point today. He is the president's attorney. We know a lot of his quotes in the past. Uh, I worry about the precedent. Nobody else uh, in the Democratic side seems to worry about that. If you can't open up to your attorney and you're an attorney, Shannon, and say, hey, you know what? What about this? Can I do this? And then find out that all those questions are going to be out in front of the public. I think there's an inherent problem with that. What do you think is going to happen today? You know what? I think that Pat is uh, a brilliant lawyer. This is this guy's nobody's fool. So, I mean, he's negotiated a deal that he feels comfortable with in talking with the committee. Um, and, and he could have very much, I think, uh, drawn this out with, you know, various legal court battles and all kinds of things. So I think if he's found a place that he feels is sort of a sweet spot that he can get in there, <clears throat> give some testimony that he thinks will be helpful, um, you know, to clarifying events of the day and, and the president's thinking, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think that he's the kind of guy who's going to go in there and get surprised by gotcha questions. So, 
you know, um, we'll see. My understanding is it's going to be videotaped and transcribed, so the rest of us will get to see exactly what he had to say. But we know how this works with the January 6th committee. They use these clips um, to great effect, um, some would argue, in sort of the TV production quality of the way that they do um, these hearings. And having now seen some of those hearings, I think Pat Cibloni is going to be very um, aware of how anything he says could be used and spiced and diced. Right. Um, what is uh, your sense about Cassie Hutchinson and how our testimony is resonating? You know, I am here in Washington, so I know a lot of people who have worked with her or know her, and um, I get various reactions from people who, you know, I don't know her at all, um, but they have um, questions about some of the things that she said and, and question her veracity. So, you know, that's one group of people who've worked with her, in, her here in Washington who feel like, um, you know, she everybody has their own motives, and, um, you know, they have talked quite a bit about the fact that she wanted to go on to Mar-a-Lago and work with the post presidency team with um, then-former President Trump, and that she was, um, in their estimation, very burned by by being forced out of that and not getting to take part. And it's clear that there was um, a motivation from her that she wanted to go on and work with them. So she may have had her concerns about January 6th. I think we all agree it was a terrible day, but they weren't so onerous to her at that point that she wasn't pursuing a job with him after the fact. So, you know, everybody has their own reason for sharing information in Washington. So you, you look at it all through that prism. So let's talk about the Second Amendment that was found out, according to the courts, that it was not being it was not being properly represented in places like New York and six other states, I think. Uh, so they nullified. So the they nullified the. So essentially, New York seemed to have nullified the Supreme Court decision because they were put. I think there was a two point. There was a two pager put in there by Justice Kavanaugh to say, "Hey, New York, tell us some restricted zones that you want mm-hmm. people to be able to use a concealed carry. Besides that, use it everywhere." They put so many restriction zones in. I would argue that this has to violate the spirit of the law uh, from the places that you can't carry a gun, from state houses to schools to subways uh, to parks. You, basically, you can't, you, you can't carry it anywhere to the point where I'm sure there's going to be a counter lawsuit to say you're ignoring this. You're ignoring the rules. Mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right. From the minute they started talking about the contours of what they wanted to do with the new gun laws, I thought, yep, that's going right back to court. And I'm not sure if it ended up in there, but, you know, the things about we're going to need your social media records and accounts for two to three years previous. I mean, all of those kinds of things lead to the very concerns the court had, which was, okay, you can set some um, objective requirements with this thing. You can't do a bunch of subjective stuff. And if you're doing things like we're going to need to see all of your social media, well, what if somebody is a MAGA, you know, person they post, you know, for Trump and keep America great and all that kind of stuff. Are you going to say, well, they're uh, a political outlier and an extremist, and so we can't give them a gun? I mean, those kinds of things are going to take this right back to court. New York knows that. New York officials know that. They want to be seen as if they're doing something, and they're going to see how far they can push this. So I think that those things will end up right back in the stream, probably fast-track to the Supreme Court, who, by the way, when you disregard what they just told you, is not really favorable when you show up for the second time. Oh, interesting. Uh, art exhibits, museums, uh, public parks, zoos. Uh, are among the sensitive places that are put out there. So essentially, this is actually more restrictive, perhaps, than it was before. And uh, I guess, well, no uh, Times Square, I guess no subways, mass transportation. Mm -hmm. So uh, good luck with that. So they're not, it's going to be, it's going to be another legal fight. 
It will be, and it'll it'll eat up time, and these laws will be in effect in the meantime. But remember, the big Heller case, the big gun case from years ago at the Supreme Court that Justice Scalia wrote, he did say, listen, you know, states and localities can put together reasonable restrictions. You can't just go waving a gun around in Times Square or whatever you want to. So there's definitely going to be an argument for some of the place restrictions that they have, the, the areas. But it sounds at this point so sweeping and broad that if it leaves no place you can legally carry a gun, um, the, the Supreme Court's not going to view that favor. All right. Thanks, uh, Shannon. Good luck with your show tonight. Appreciate your instant analysis. I'll see you then. All right. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll get to your calls. Bottom of the hour, uh, we'll have Congressman uh, Michael Waltz. Uh, and when we come back, I got some announcements where I get a chance to see you in person. And in all these places, I have an affiliate in place so we can work with the radio stations to make sure uh, I get to go on stage and have you in the audience and maybe get a chance to meet you before or after the show. Uh, it is going to be essentially uh, America great for the start, mixed with winning the war on history, and everything to do with news and fun and entertainment. Those dates announced in just a moment right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think what we have to remember whenever we talk about Hunter Biden is that had this only been about corruption by Hunter Biden, it would be an embarrassing scandal. It would be the kind of thing that a lot of presidents have had with members in their family doing shady and sketchy and corrupt things, trading on their influence in order to self-enrich. But in this case, there's no question, as we know from those documents that were lied about and, and, and claimed to be false when they were real, that all along, at least in many of these transactions, there was an anticipation that Joe Biden himself would be involved. So we're not just talking about protecting Hunter Biden. We're clearly talking about protecting Joe Biden as well. And at this point, at the very least, Jesse, we should have an independent prosecutor who's not beholden to the chain of command that ends with Joe Biden to make decisions not just about Hunter Biden, but also about the president himself. That is uh, Glenn Greenwald. And he is somebody who now lives in Brazil, started his own company. They kicked him out. Now he's writing on Substack, and now he's a Fox News contributor, which if you thought about his career lately, you would think the last person that would be a Fox News contributor is Glenn Greenwald. He's very uh, critical of conservatives, very critical of, I guess, Trump and a little of Bush. But I, I just think that he has a place to talk and a platform where he's not judged, but he just sees the craziness and the double and triple standard. Uh, for, uh, for Reuters to do a report about Joe Biden selling oil, strategic oil, to China and India, no matter how we, they got it, to a company that's linked to his son, Hunter. And for them to have to think it's worthy just and leave it out and just focus on January 6th, it is just insane. Uh, and that's where we ended up with Joe Biden, which is going to be part of, 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 the, of the show I have on Saturday night on One Nation just talked about all the things that are going on that Joe Biden has blatantly screwed up that he's getting a pass on, and now Democrats are getting upset with him. We're trying to say that that was how this guy profiled going in. And some of the problems with the election, it wasn't with voting machines. It wasn't with uh, anybody individually corrupt. It is Zuckerbucks. It is problems with governors changing rules without a legislature at the last minute. It's the incredible number of drop boxes that makes one question about the sanctity of all this. Real quick, I told you about some live stage shows where uh, I could be seen on stage and have a chance to interact with you guys. 
in Newark, New Jersey, August 27th. Just go to BrianKilme.com. It'll be uh, on Fox Nation Live, and I want you to be there in person, WABC listeners especially. Albany, New York. Albany, you can come down and watch, and you can go. We can go up and see you September 8th at the Egg. Uh, special thanks to WGDJ 1300, uh, Paul Vandenberg, to, for getting the word out. We truly appreciate it. Tickets are going already. Brandon, that will be September 8th. Brandon, Mississippi, November 12th and November 13th, Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG. Hopefully I'll see all the listeners out there. All right, go to BrianKilme.com, order tickets, and there's VIP opportunities where you get to hang out before the show. Congressman Michael Walt is standing by. We'll bring you inside what's happening with war and the aftermath of the assassination of the former prime minister of Japan. Uh, what an explosive day uh, around the world and right here in New York. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This kind of bravado comes as a result of Putin's military momentum, which they have, in taking the eastern part of the Donbass region, the so-called Luansk Oblast, better known as a province. And But the cost of doing that has been immense. Their casualties are very, very significant. They poured everything they had into this one single access. They stopped all other offensive operations to be able to do this one. And they began it in April. And it's taken this long for them to complete it. They actually thought they would have the entire Donbass region, not just the eastern portion of it, but the whole region to include the Donbass Oblast by now. And that is uh, General Jack Keane a couple hours ago, break down what exactly the Russians' advantage has been in Ukraine as they take what we call a, a war pause. And now Vladimir Putin balls, uh, bragging that essentially he'll take on all comers and that the, he hasn't even begun to fight. Congressman Michael Walsh joins us right now. Congressman, how would you assess things uh, right now in the Ukraine? Well, Putin is is grinding away. Uh, he has literally put nearly 80 uh, percent, by some argue, almost 90 percent of his land forces. Uh, he's pulled them, Brian, all the way from Siberia, from the north. Uh, he is fully committed. He's grinding away, and he is literally leveling city after city uh, with his long-range artillery. And as long as, you know, as you and I have discussed, as long as oil prices remain as high as they are, as long as Biden sticks with this asinine energy policy uh, and not unleashing American energy, I think he's going to have the resources to keep grinding forward. Now, the question is, what is going to be left uh, for him to govern? You know, he's essentially going to be the, you know, he's essentially occupying rubble uh, at, at this point. And one of the reasons, aside from uh, you know the historic and cultural reasons that Putin has always wanted the Donbass, was that it was also uh, you know it looks on the map it looks relatively small, but it was the industrial heartland of Ukraine. It was where their mining capacity, their factories, their manufacturing, their steel mills, uh, it, you know that's that's incredible and a, a huge and significant loss uh, for Zelensky and for Ukraine to have permanently lost that. And then the other piece is the access to the Black Sea. I mean, he, Putin has successfully connected Crimea with the Donbass, with the land bridge of Mariupol. And uh, as I've said many times, one can only wonder 
if Biden had given the Ukrainians the anti-ship missiles that they were asking for last year, the anti-aircraft systems that he's finally now uh, starting to push into Ukraine, if they had just had that more sophisticated weaponry, would Putin you know, be in the position that he's in? Yeah, we give it. We now we're giving the uh, the uh, the long range weapon system, but we need more to give them. But it's already making a difference, I understand. So, would uh, Vladimir Putin comes out and he says we barely started? Is that just bluster? Like you said, he's using eighty to ninety percent of his of his uh, ground forces. Is that barely starting? You know, the the assessments are, are, are kind of all over the place. I mean, looking at in terms of uh, the number of missiles he still has, a lot of the long-range cruise missiles and others, they've depleted their stocks. Uh, they, you know, are having to now go to conscription uh, to where they're, they're drafting young Russian men and forcing them uh, to go into this war. But the, the real question is uh, that I have not seen a good answer is what is the status of Putin's health? There was a lot floating out there in terms of him having some type of, of cancer uh, that was affecting his health. I've asked for briefings on that. I hope to get those in the next few weeks. And then, you know, his political support at home, he seems to have solidified uh, to keep grinding away and feeding resources. And then economically, Brian, you know, China has replaced everything that Europe has walked away from. And, uh, you know, for every European bank that has stepped away, China has stepped in. So I do think he will have uh, the, the resources to keep pushing forward. My question of the Biden administration is, one, how long do we keep supporting and to what end? Saying it's just up to uh, Zelensky and just up to the Ukrainians and Russians isn't sufficient. What's in our interest and how long are we going to pour resources into this and to what end? Is it just to it gets to a stalemate or are we going to help Zelensky take territory back at some point? And then are we helping him? Uh, are we helping the Ukrainians with any type of insurgency and resistance in the Russian occupied areas? And that obviously will take a different strategy. And finally, Brian, you know, for to truly be helpful, the thing that has me concerned is that we're pushing all these billion dollars of equipment into Ukraine. We don't have any advisors or eyes and ear on the ground to understand how it's being spent, where it's going, what type of strategy that they have. I'm not advocating for American boots on the front line, but I do think it would be smart to get some advisors into their headquarters, into their uh, strategic planning, into their depots, and understand where all this equipment's going. I like to see uh, some kind of counteroffensive because we know from what, what the Iraqis did to us and what the Taliban did to us, uh, how they destabilizing it can be. And when you don't yeah. know when the next hit is, and our guys are a lot better than their guys, uh, clearly. So one thing we could say, too, is that the stupidest thing the president's doing, because he thinks it helps him domestically, is continuing to give Vladimir Putin credit for the high gas prices, high inflation, high yeah. taxes, and for ca- causing the supply chain issues. What is he talking about? That's the last thing you want to do is make him seem as if he's punching above his weight and that he's yeah, even more right. of a factor. I mean, Putin has played a pair of fours like nobody's business. He has been bluffing for years, and Biden just plays right into his hands. Uh, on, on the international stage as though uh, Putin now has the capability, because believe me, he's twisting this propaganda uh, for his own use back home. And that look, look how we're making the United States suffer. Look how we're affecting the U.S. economy. And Biden's just playing right into it. But sit that aside on the domestic side, on you know the U.S. political front. 
Um, inflation was, we all know, and everybody sees through it. Inflation was at a 40-year high in January of this year, well before the invasion. I think, I think this Putin tax hike has fallen flat. Uh, and we're going to see we're going to see the results of it in November. But but it's such a risk. And why shouldn't the former chairman of, of Senate Relations Committee understand the risk of making your enemy uh, putting the wind to the back of an enemy and help him domestically? Make him seem yeah. like this behemoth. Doesn't he understand that it's not Republicans you're trying to impress? It's not Donald Trump you want to denigrate. You're hurting your own cause. You're getting people killed because of that. You're helping him his popularity sustain itself. I also want to bring you to China. This week we have this story that China is looking to maybe take the moon. And then you think that there's even greater warning right now. And the FBI says, what do they say? Every, um, you know, every 10 hours there's another FBI investigation going on with China? That's right. That's right. Every, every 10 hours they are opening another counterintelligence investigation with China. Uh, the American industry, international corporations, the EU – uh, if having the head of MI5 and the head of FBI say the Chinese, one way or another, will steal your technology, will steal your proprietary processes, will steal your patents, uh, you, you cannot be attracted to that honeypot of getting to uh, that billion-person market because at the end of the day, what they will do is steal your technology, set up a competing Chinese firm, State subsidize it so they can put their prices in the dirt and then take your market share and take you out. And they have done it in ports around the world. They've done it in rail cars and mining and lithium and pharmaceuticals. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, Chairman Z of China is very clear that they are going to become the dominant world power through technology. So what and do you recommend they do with it? Well, two things they do with it. One, they uh, they create dependencies, which they have now done. Uh, in all of these technological areas. And then number two, they hand it over to their military through their civil uh, fusion program. We've got to decouple, Brian. We've got to put better uh, protections in place. Uh, I have protections pending in legislation in the CHIPS Act and, and the other that's pending in the Senate uh, to start increasing our security offices, to start cutting back on the amount of researchers that we allow in our research institutions, the number of students that we allow. Nothing wrong with the great, wonderful, historic Chinese people, but they have no choice. When their government taps them on the back and says, go take X, Y, or Z from this supercomputer or this AI algorithm, they have to do it. They're in violation of Chinese law, and the Chinese government holds their family accountable. Uh, we, we, we have to tighten up all of these supply chains. And if we can't bring them to the United States, how about we incentivize them to go to Central America and then we kill two birds with one stone. We we address the migration problem and we bring our supply chains back to the Western Hemisphere. We got to meet with private business. We got to get them on board. We have to show them what, what they probably already know. But for their shareholders, they feel it benefits them. We got to tell them it's not in America's interest. Make a choice or get out or it, be like Nike that, and just say, I'd rather be a Chinese company. Goodbye. It, it, it's, it's a time for choosing. Uh, what, what the heck happened to corporate patriotism? But at the end of the day, we also have to show them it's in their interest. When you have all of yes. Shanghai being locked down uh, and they can't get their supply chains out of there, how about we bring them back to the Western Hemisphere, if not into the United States, uh, right. for their own business interest? Congressman Michael Waltz, if they paid you by the hour, uh, you'd be a billionaire. Uh, thanks, so <laughs> mu- thanks so much for your time and always being on top of these issues. 
All right. Thanks, Brian. And they definitely don't pay me by the hour. So thank you. <laughs> right. Uh, WOKV is very uh, is our great uh, coveted affiliate there. And Congressman has that right within his broadcast. We come back. We find out there's more to know. Don't forget One Nation, Saturday at 8. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm just looking at my watch right now. I'm getting ready for One Nation. One Nation will be at Saturday at 8 and Saturday at 11 o'clock Eastern Time. Hope everybody watches. Has some have great guests uh, from Douglas uh, Murray to uh, Jim Bridenstine. He, this guy's an astronaut who knows that we're now getting battles at the space station with Russia and fighting for the moon with China. He'll bring us the reality uh, on Earth. So let's get to the big... Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Uh, this is kind of sad. James Conn passes away at the age of 82. You know the great roles he played. The first time I saw him was uh, Brian's song, playing Brian Piccolo. But he's just a factor as a total life. Played a great thug from New York, from the Bronx. Uh, there was a tribute offered, too, uh, of, of here is, uh, for example, of James Conn in one of his prolific moments that really had him arrive on the scene and the Godfather beating up the husband of his wife in the movie. It was my fault. Where is Sonny? Please, it was my fault. Sonny, it was my fault. I hit him. I started to fight with him. Please, Sonny, I hit him. So he hit me. I... I'm just, uh, just gonna give the doctor to come and take a look at you. Sonny, right? please don't do anything. Please don't do it. Okay. <laughs> What's the matter with you? What am I gonna do? I'm gonna make that baby an orphan before he's born. <laughs> huh? Stuff taking actual hour, right? Last of the night. Two, one, two, we lost enough money last week. Come on, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come Elon Musk deal to buy Twitter reportedly in jeopardy. He's not even talking about how to finance it now. He found out it's not nearly as valuable as he thought. There's a lot of bots on there, but he's really dug in. I think he's got to pay billions of dollars if he doesn't work out the deal. Uh, t- Twitter offered Musk and his team access to the platform's firehose of raw data on hundreds of millions of daily tweets last month. But three people familiar with the matter told the Washington Post the Musk team has concluded that Twitter's figures on spam accounts are not verifiable. Twitter said on the call yesterday that the spam accounts represent well below 5% of his active users' base each quarter. What do you think about this? I think it's great in that it's really going to get us some answers on how many people are real and not. But I mean... Uh, I think he wants to walk away. Probably. I mean, the, the value has plummeted since. Well, you, he was using Tesla's value to help buy Twitter, and Tesla's value has dropped because of the... Stock market, so I think it's a little bit of an issue. Uh, now I think he can get a, a better deal, but if he walks away, Twitter's in tatters, don't you think? Yes, but also it's going to be a lot, many more legal fights too. Like, is he going to walk away? You know, because they're going to say you're not allowed to walk away, and they're going to contest that, and it'll be it'll be interesting. This is going to go on for a while. Next, Norman Rockwell, pretty good painter, I hear. Uh, he, they removed his paintings from the White House. They replaced him with Joe Biden family photos. How ridiculous is this? Uh, evidently, four Norman Rockwell works featured in the White House have been taken down. Politico first reported the paintings were taken down on Tuesday. 
uh, writing, two individuals familiar with the matter said members of the Rockwell family have requested the art be returned to them. Their request was, was granted last year. A person familiar with the matter said the paintings have been replaced with several jumbo photos of Biden. The paintings are said to be part of the So You Want to See the President series that features various high-profile Americans. I think he painted them in 1943 for FDR So, uh, and after he visited the White House. Is that really the story, or are the Bidens getting somebody, somebody else covering for him? That's my question, right? Is it really sort of like a little bit of a cancel culture? We don't want Norman Rockwell. Like, I feel like there's enough walls in the White House. They could have an, um, yeah. added family photos elsewhere. Next. After nearly 100 years of existence, the Popeye comic strip is reportedly getting a woke makeover with the strip's latest cartoonist promising more ethnic diversity and more characters who are not heterosexual. The heterosexuals are the worst cartoon characters. For Popeye. For Popeye. The whole thing is to try to get olive oil. Right. I mean, a girl. Yeah. Why can't Popeye try to get a guy? Maybe he really wants Bruno. <laughs> Maybe. Is Bruno, is Bruno the no, guy? Brutus. Brutus. Brutus, Brutus, yeah. But, you know, one thing was great. Popeye was great for selling spinach. He was. I mean, was, I mean for, for about 30 years, spinach lived off Popeye. Great for selling and then great for getting your kids to eat it, right? Don't you want to exactly. be strong like Popeye? But the problem is Popeye, big forearms, no biceps. I don't want that type of build. I'd rather be Brutus, but I'd rather win like Popeye. Also, I found him was he was much tougher in the blue sailor outfit than he was in the white sailor outfit. For more on your analysis of Popeye, what? Did you write uh, an essay on this? I really did. I, I, lo- I really like Popeye. <laughs> Next. WNBA star Brittany, uh, Brittany Griner pled guilty to drug charges. No one's really denied that she had some hashish oil with her. The question is, does she deserve 10 years in prison? I don't know how they're going to work this out, but the White House got themselves in a lot of trouble because they called Brittany Griner in response to her letter, but they never called Paul Whalen's family, and he's been there even longer. That's terrible. It's but just they, bad organization. Well, as we we're seeing, sadly, you know, they don't have the organization or the communication in place. But um, for Griner, they were saying, you know, she sort of needs to plead guilty so that the Russian courts will view it as more sympathetic, right? Because if you plead not guilty, their court system doesn't work the same way. They look at it as more of like you're spitting in their face oh. and they'll get, you know, you're not going to get a fair trial and then they'll be less lenient. Right. It's tough to get a law degree there uh, and understand <laughs> it. Next, Steph Curry will host the ASPN SB Awards July 17th. It comes a month after the Warriors won their championship, uh, their seventh NBA championship. Here's my worry. He's great personality, but he's not a big personality. Great conversation, but not a showman. And you do have to be funny on the ESPYs, I thought. Well, two things. I mean, A, maybe we'll see a side of him we didn't know existed. And we'll see how well the show is truly produced, right? If they have good producers, they're going to make him great. And by the way, congratulations to Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev. Uh, he is going, the boxing champion is going to get the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. Fantastic. Broadcaster, Hall of Famer, and college basketball icon Dick Vitale be honored with the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. Yeah, another cancer bout, one again. I'm Brian Kilmeade. That's more to know. Make sure you listen to and watch One Nation on Fox News, Saturday 8 and 11. Thanks for listening.
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.